Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and with video here on YouTube. This week, I welcome special guest Dave Warnock. Now, Dave is a former evangelical pastor, not a seminary graduate, but we'll get into the specifics of how he became a pastor and and how he is. um, His journey is very interesting, very unique. And in February of this year, uh, Dave was diagnosed with ALS, uh, and that is a terminal illness. And he has uh, had some pretty interesting experiences since that happened. And he has been going around and talking on various shows and media and making some things known that he feels are important. And I want to support him in that because uh, he and I have actually a lot in common. I am a former Scientologist, second generation cult member, I guess you could say. I have been um, doing a lot of work on my channel to expose abusive practices within religious and non-religious groups, these groups that we call destructive cults. And uh, Dave has his own similar experiences with some of that. I have been shunned and disconnected, so has he. And we're going to talk about some of that. But mostly want to talk about the impact that this diagnosis has had on him and his life and his faith. And, uh, and how he has been treated and dealt with by those around him who have uh, deep religious beliefs versus those around him who do not. And the contrast is quite interesting and, frankly, disappointing and a little shocking in some cases. So that all being the intro here, Dave, welcome to my show. Well, thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Yes, thank you for taking the time. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, I have never spoken with anybody this directly who has had a terminal illness. I have certainly had friends in my life who have had cancer and gotten treated for it and have beaten it and some who didn't. Uh, But it was always a little, you know, uncertain as to what was going to happen. And in your case, we unfortunately are faced with an illness that, if I have this correctly, we do not have a cure for at this time. That is correct. There, um, a doctor friend of mine told me when I got this diagnosis that the, uh, it's, the, it's the diagnosis that stops doctors in their tracks. Because even with cancer, as widespread as it is, there are different levels, different kinds. Some are more treatable than others. You go into remission. There are drugs. To, but ALS, there's stuff on the horizon that that there's certainly some work being done for some stem cell treatments and several drugs that are in uh, clinical trials and things like that, but nothing, even, even those are considered drugs that will help you manage it, uh, much like HIV. They, they, they don't cure it, but they help you live with it. And so there's, there's hope on the horizon, uh, but even best guesses on that are they're two or three years away. Um, so it's a disease that carries with it a terminal illness, a terminal diagnosis, with the average lifespan, as we're told, three to five years from onset of symptoms. And so I think I've been having symptoms now about a year and a half. So I had them for a good long time before I was actually diagnosed. Um, It's the kind of thing where you don't really pay attention to small things that aren't working like they used to. It's not like you get a sharp pain in your side and you rush to the doctor. It's 
it's a very gradual and and in many ways very vague kind of symptoms that begin Wow. Okay. I recall, um, you know, I hadn't really thought about this in a while, but you remember a couple of years ago, there was that ALS bucket challenge. Some, yeah. Some folks out there might be familiar with that, where people were donating money, encouraging others to donate money for research and dumping buckets of water on them. And if you go back into my earliest videos on my channel, I did that. <laughs> and I did you? And I sent a hundred bucks on the, on the line, you know, for it, because I, I didn't know anybody with it at the time, but I wanted to support that effort because I thought it was a worthwhile cause. Yeah. There there's, they raised a lot of money, um, during the ice bucket challenge. I remember the ice bucket challenge, but being ignorant of it all myself, I knew it was some, I knew it was for something, but didn't know what it was for. And so, you know, I just didn't pay attention to it. Cause if you're not involved with it, you don't pay attention. You just kind of think, Oh yeah, that's, to raise money for some disease that they're looking for cures and I hope they get it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and there's some controversy, uh, to be fair about the ALS association and what they've done with that money and how uh, there, there's a lot of discontent within the ALS community, which I've now become a part of unwillingly. And I've learned, uh, some things about, uh, how the ALS association is just, not aggressive enough in going after some drugs that may may show improvement, may show some improvement. Um, I was actually in Washington D.C. a month or two ago, taking part in a in a protest rally uh, at the FDA headquarters and ALSA headquarters, um, just about that very thing that they're not really being aggressive enough. Uh, they're, they're moving slow with it, whereas while they do that, people are dying because it's a very, in many cases, it's a very rapidly spreading disease. Uh, it, it can happen quick. It can, it can move slow. It's very unpredictable. So there's some, there's some different things going on that, that a lot of people aren't aware of. And I, and they're riddled with controversy. I mean, how do you know what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's false? It's really hard to tell really is. It, it is, especially as laymen out here uh, yeah. when we're just re part of the regular citizenry and don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I have some, um, I have a medical researcher, doctor friend who has done groundbreaking uh, work in the past, not on ALS, but on other things, HIV yeah. actually. Right. And he's very, uh, he's not in, uh, he does not have good things to say about the uh, NIH or its funding processes or the, dis the, the decision-making process of where money goes and how it is distributed and mm -hmm. who, gets, who gets the goodies to, to pursue uh, medical, you know, it, it research. And, um, and it's a bit of a shame. That's kind of a, a, you know, a bigger topic to get into maybe another time. Yeah, but, yeah another time. Uh, in terms of your situation, so you were diagnosed with this February of this year. And mm -hmm. were you a believer up until that moment? Uh, in terms of religious belief or how, did, what's your track on that? No, I thought, you know, I, I was a believer until I got that. And then I said, really, God, you're going to give me this. Fuck you. No, I didn't. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, had a gradual departure from faith. Uh, probably it's hard to identify the exact time, but it's probably been seven or eight years now. Um, since I w was a believer, uh, about 2009, from, from about the years 2009 to 2011, I began to really question the things I'd believed in for 36, 37 years from the, from the age of 18 up until in my mid to late 50s. And after 
a hard year or two of reading and researching and contemplating and thinking and writing, I came to the painful conclusion that it wasn't real and that it wasn't true and that I'd been believing a lie my whole life and had in fact given the best years of my life to something that wasn't true. I was initially very sad because it was like the death of something important to me. And, but, but more, I also was angry because I felt like I'd been lied to. Um, but I, you know, I got into it with, with good, in good faith, so to speak, um, thinking that this was the right path, that this was the one that was the only one that was right. Because when you're presented with, with, with the path that your particular, uh, culture believes in, if I, if I'd have grown up in Pakistan, I would have by default become a Muslim because that's what everyone does. Well, in America, everyone becomes a Christian because that's the cultural identity of the country. Although it's not really a Christian country, that's the cultural identity because that's, that's kind of the, the bigger current that flows through it. So, of course, if I was going to have faith in something, it was going to be the Christian God. So when I was presented with it at the age of 18, I was a vulnerable, impressionable young man with not a lot of direction in life. And I thought, wow, this, this gives me some direction. This looks good. Let's do this. I didn't examine all the face of the world and, and make an informed decision. I just jumped on the first truck that came by and rode it for the next 37, 38 years uh, in good faith, thinking that, well, because all the people in this, in this group say it's the right way, it must be the right way. <laughs> and I came, I came to believe late in life that, no, it's really not. That is, uh, as I said, we have a lot of things in common. If you took the word Scientology and stuck it in for Christianity and everything you just said, yeah, would have been my life. You know, grew yeah. up with it, introduced to it uh, by my parents. And then young, 15 years old, I started doing classes. 17 years old, I started working professionally for the Church of Scientology. Wow. So Yeah, you don't, you don't examine yeah. it. You don't think nope. about it critically. You just accept it because people that you trust tell you it's the right way. So, yeah. Exactly. In fact, that that lends itself to something I've been thinking a lot about lately, uh, which is a which is a definition or an idea, a clarification of what is faith. And for me, I think uh, I've hit on something that that really answers a lot of questions uh, for me about it. And I wanted I was curious what you might think about this. I think faith is an idea that you don't have to think about anymore. <laughs> That's exactly, I, I think that's exactly it. In fact, many of us, I've got most of my best friends now that I do life with are uh, ex-Christian atheists, and many of them ex-pastors like myself. And we'll so often, when we're around just talking, or we'll just look at each other and say, how could, we, how could we think that way? How could we ever have gotten duped that completely? Well, the, the faith that you're in, if you, I, could, I could pull out a dozen passages of Scripture and that talk about the idea of the the thinking and the mind being wrong, being evil, being deceptive. And you have to just come as a little child and put your faith in the higher thing and don't think too hard about it because the devil is in the details. And if you think too hard and if you examine too closely, you'll get confused. We don't want you confused. So let's just turn that nasty little mind off and let's just believe because after all, it's, it's all by faith. And so, yeah, of course, you don't examine and you don't critically think, because critical thinking is the enemy. 
Exactly. And I, I, of course, identifying as a critical thinker and having found critical thinking, you know, really for the first time in, in my 40s. <laughs> Sad, huh? Try doing it in your 50s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you that when you just said, you know, you look back and thought you had wasted the best years of your life sort of thing. Again, exactly parallel with my experience. Yeah. Um, you also said uh, in another podcast you did that they are af- the people of, of faith or belief are afraid of the questions because they are afraid of the answers. I think that's really true. Um I've got a lot of family members that still identify as evangelical Christians and some friends that I call holdover friends that haven't abandoned me, but um, they don't get too close to the fire, I think, because they're a little afraid of being burned. Uh, And I think in the back of their mind, if they dig too deep into the questions that I dug into, they might end up like me and we sure wouldn't want that. So there's that thing, because everybody who knows me really well knows that I was a serious believer. It wasn't a casual thing for me. I I was many years of my life on staff at churches. I did preaching and teaching. I was ordained and licensed. I did the marrying and the burying and all the stuff that the the clergy do. But uh, I was serious about my faith. It It was a life for me. It wasn't just something I did on Sunday and went to just to pacify someone else. So anybody who knows me well knows that it wasn't a casual thing for me to leave it. And and I think in the back of their minds, they're a bit afraid if it could happen to me, it could happen to them. So let's just not dig too deep. Let's don't go down that rabbit, rabbit hole too far. Exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a precarious thing with uh, I think with a lot of people and and I think the reason that a lot of believers you tell me if you agree with this but I think the reason why a lot of believers uh, get so mad at atheists at questioning atheists at people of and maybe even people of other faiths that different from theirs is because it starts forcing them to think about their ideas, their religious ideas, or their, or their mm-hmm. faith-based ideas, because it doesn't even have to be religion. This definition is, is I, I'm happy with this definition because it, it extends beyond just religious faith, because we have faith in all kinds of things, and, and we, get, we get antagonistic. We get really upset with people when they start making us think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, uh, you know, you've heard the term, term angry atheists, and I think a lot of people uh, feel like every atheist is just a raging uh, out of control uh, lunatic and I know there are angry atheists out there but by God there's sure some angry Christians out there too um, and angry Muslims and angry you know whatever but um, I've had people ask me you know why are you mad at God uh, I'm, I'm not mad at God uh, why are you mad at Christians I'm not mad at Christians in fact I had an email exchange with my brother who's an evangelical pastor in East Texas and he emailed me out of the blue and was asking me some telling me some things he'd been to see my daughter and he'd been to see my ex-wife and he had had some conversations about her finances and what, you know, he was, she was concerned about it and it has to do with me and our divorce um, uh, stuff. And, and he was, so I responded to him and told him right off the bat how he had one line in his email about how's your disease progressing. And I have yet to talk to him on the phone since the diagnosis, by the way. Um, well, I have, he accidentally called me. That's another story. He, he butt dialed me and apologized for butt dialing me. And even when he was, when I called him back and said, Hey, what's up? He said, I didn't mean to call you. And I wanted to say, you got the news that your brother has a terminal illness and you didn't mean to call me. 
what the actual fuck? Exactly. But, but in the email exchange, he said, wow, you're really angry. I said, no, I'm not angry. I'm indignant that you would, you would not have the self-awareness to realize that the email you sent me was incredibly insensitive and offensive to ask me questions about all these other things and not really ask me questions about how are you doing, Dave? How do you feel? You know, how, how, is this ha- how are you handling this emotionally, the news that you have a few years to live? No concern for that whatsoever because they don't know what to do with death. They only know what to do if you're in the club and now that I'm out of it, in the club that is identifying yourself as someone who's going to go to heaven when you die. And now that I'm out of that club, he doesn't know what to do with me. And it's really quite sad because if, if, you, if you focus on your fetish for the afterlife, then you're going to miss this life. That's how I feel. Perfect. I, I think that's exactly right. I, th- I feel that there is something that goes beyond you know, we use words like hypocrisy to to describe this idea of, you know, believing one thing and doing something else or preaching one yeah. thing or asserting one thing is true, but then literally acting as though that's not true or has no yeah. relevance to your life. And it almost feels like it's such a level of hypocrisy. We need another word for how how yeah. deep that goes, because it's so bizarre that you have a, a group of people evangelicals, uh, you know, these, these heavy believer types who, who cannot seem to connect certain dots, like mm-hmm. your, you know, you, you, compassion, tr- uh, you know, uh, tolerance, uh, you know, turning the other cheek, maybe, you know, in times of, of stress or, 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 uh, or anger. It seems like all those principles kind of go by the wayside if you put this thing, this dead fish on the table that I don't believe what you believe. Well, I, I, I want to say, I wanted to afterward, I, and I may s- send an email to this effect, but one of the more direct things that Jesus supposedly said, if you believe he was who he was, who, they, who the Bible says he was, and, and um, he said what the Gospels record that he said, he very clearly said that, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. Um, And and the separation of the sheep and the goats at the end um, was based upon not what you believed. And there's another contradiction in the Bible, actually. It wasn't based on what you believed about him. It was based on what you did. Did you do these things or did you not? And I want to say to my brother or any of them, you know, I'm sick and yet you haven't visited me. So how do you justify your... Uh, claim to be a, a Jesus following Christian when you're not doing the most basic things. Is it because I'm in the wrong tribe? Is it because I'm not a believer? I have to believe if I was still a believer, they would have been to see me by now. But the fact that I'm not puts me at odds with their comfort zone and it just makes it a little bit more difficult for them to know what to do with me. It's a difficult situation because it's it's one of the few things in the world that can that can kind of override the biological imperative of family of kinship. Yeah, you know, it's a very strong motivating force kinship kinship bonds uh, on a biological perspective, and yet this religious thing takes over some part of the brain and it just you know and and it cuts all ties. 
What did have you mentioned your ex-wife and daughters, your brother here? What are you estranged from all of them at this point, or what's the how? What happened? It's a mixed bag. Uh, back when I left Faith, um, uh, and, and you, it's funny you mentioned about the, the the one thing that can cut the blood ties. There are other things that I know people have become estranged about in life. It happens, but within the religion, if when people shun based on a religious uh, ideology or conviction. They're, all they have to do is go straight to the words of Jesus once again. You know, a lot of people have said, I don't, I'm not religious, I just love Jesus. Well, if you really look at some of the things he said, he was kind of shitty at times. And um, so he says at one point, uh, anyone who comes to follow me must leave, but must be willing to leave fathers. And, no, he says it like this. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, cutting aside between fathers and mothers, uh, daughters and, and fathers and mothers and sons and brothers, and, and basically saying, I will cut your family apart based on who believes in me and who doesn't. And he's, and he's endorsing that. He's saying, I'm way more important than any of your family members. And if you love them more than me, you're not worthy to follow me. What a dick. Let's just call it what it is. Exactly. And so they've that, done that. That's destructive cult leader talk is what that it is. is. And, and all they have to do is follow the words of Jesus. And so my daughters took that literally because they were in a church that practiced that. They practiced shunning as, a, as an effective way of bringing repentance to people who, who've um, sinned. And so they did that as a practice uh, when I left the faith and uh, did that for years. Still to this day, we're estranged. There is, it's not a classic shunning thing because that would be no contact whatsoever. Um, so there, there is minimal contact, but it's definitely an estranged relationship, if you can even call it a relationship at all. Now, that, that's not true. Like, my mom is not that way, and she's a fervent believer. She loves Jesus with her whole heart. My sister is a Christian, and they're not, they're not they'll, they'll call me. If I, if I call them, they'll answer. They'll call me. So it's a mixed bag. It's, it's, it's like all of Christianity. You kind of believe what you want to believe. And you kind of pick and choose the parts of the Bible you want to follow. That's that's the way it's always been. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, and I know that's what you were talking before. It's a spectrum. You know, yeah. this is no, there's no broad brush here. There's no painting with this like all Christians are bad, all Christianity is bad. That's, that's not what we're saying. If you're hearing that in our words, you're you're just your biases are getting in the way because that's not yeah. what we're saying. Not at all. And I think that's true of humans. That, that's the bottom line is we're all humans. And there are, there are nice humans, there are nice atheists, and there are mean atheists. There are nice Christians, and there are mean Christians. There are nice humanists, there are mean humanists. There are nice Muslims, there are mean Muslims. It's just human. It, we're all human. And, and we're doing, I'll say this, I think most everybody is doing the best they can. And uh, I like what Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better, and then do better. And that's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> I did the best I could as a Christian. I realized, whoops, wait a minute, that was wrong. Now I'm trying to do better. And, and I have no problem saying that I'm a much more moral person now as an atheist than I was as a Christian. I, I totally get that. I totally get that view. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've had to deal with something now since February that a lot of people kind of get to put off, not think about too much. Uh, you know, push push away in the closet, maybe have nightmares or dark thoughts about it in, you know, in the in the wee hours, which is our impending mortality. 
Yeah. This is certainly a challenge for me because um, having lost my faith, and I'm not trying to make this all about myself. I'm just trying to offer a compare and contrast here. Sure. When I lost Scientology, when I lost my faith in Scientology, I lost a belief in myself as an immortal spiritual being. Mm-hmm. And so that meant that I lost my eternity, my immortality, as they, you know, my, they, my eternity, as they call it in Scientology. And I had to face the fact that once this body is dead, that could be it. There might not be anything more to my existence. And I have yet to this day to actually honestly get over that. Oh, wow. That's tough, man. It is. It is a tough one. It's it's something that uh, that I do lay awake at night thinking about from time to time. It's not an obsession, but it is a concern. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And having pursued science now for the last six years and gone to the very edges of what we know about neurology and biology and psychology, um, I know that we just don't have the answers that people are looking for. And that's one big reason why faith and religion are, are still thriving alternatives. Oh, yeah. I think it's why they were created. I've been thinking about converting to the brand that uh, promises the 700 virgins at the end. I'm thinking more and more that sounds good. <laughs> uh, you like to sign up for that? I don't know what the restrictions are, if there's a waiting period. I don't know. Um, but no, I've, I didn't have any, um, it wasn't hard for me to let go of, of the idea of eternity um, because I'm such a lover of life and I want to seize the moments that life has. So the idea of this being all there is to me just isn't that horrible. I think this is enough. I mean, how greedy can we be, you know, to get to live the lives that we, I mean, we could have been born in the middle ages when, you know, you (laughs) a lifespan of 30 and every minute was hard. I mean, come on, we got it pretty good here. That is true. That is so, and plagues, you know, any plague could come through and wipe out your whole village in, in a week. I mean, come on. Oh, man. Well, you know, I think, I mean, I just, I rue the idea of, of, of being born before there was toilet paper. Yeah, I was, I was going to say right? that. Uh, that was a little raw, but I was thinking, you know, and you have to go out in the woods and take a dump. <laughs> right. I mean, and now we've got bidets. Have you discovered bidets? That's, that's the thing we all need. Um, anyway. No, uh, that's the whole thing. Eternity as a concept is kind of weird to begin with. Um, either way, eternity in hell, um, that's weird. Um, eternity in heaven, what are you going to do for 100,000 years and then you've just finished your first morning? You know, that, that's, right. just, that's just, I can't wrap my head around that to begin with. I can wrap my head around this being all there is and and what what that what that then forces us to do is look at how we're doing this. How are we living this? And so, um, in the sense of what you're saying, I've I've gotten this diagnosis, and um, in some ways, I've referred to this before as a gift because it gives me the opportunity now to narrow my focus, to cut away the peripheral stuff that doesn't matter, to try to focus on what's important and to um, not get caught up in the mundane and the unimportant. And so the thing we're doing now with traveling and speaking and the podcast, we're calling it dying out loud, but it's more accurate to say, I'm talking about living out loud and living with purpose and living 
in such a way that you don't miss the moments that are here in life. I talk a lot about moments, that life is a collection of moments and that if we're aware of it, we're going to find them and we're going to relish them. We're going to enjoy them and we're not going to miss them because we're looking forward to something else. And that's what I talk about with, with religious people. I think they're so caught up in the thing that's coming that they think is coming when we really don't know, but they're so, they have such a fetish for that, that, that they're missing what's now, what are we doing now? What are the moments right now that I'm missing because I'm so caught up in what my afterlife is going to be. And it's just such a sad state of affairs. It's a sad way to live. If you ask me. I agree with you completely. And I've certainly had the exact same. I've had very parallel thought thought processes to what you're talking about. In fact, Studies show um, that happier people, the people who are happy in the world at large, are the people who collect experiences, not collect things. That's so good. I like that term. I like collecting experiences. I refer to it as collecting moments. But And they can be big or small. That's the thing I try to emphasize. They, I just was in Italy last month for a week or so, a little over a week visit. And, you know, of course, I had planned that and looked forward to it. And I knew there would be big moments there on the uh the Amalfi Coast and Positano and looking out over the Mediterranean Sea and the beauty of it and soaking that up with friends that were there with me. And that was a huge moment. Uh, but they could also be little moments, just uh, ga- gathering with a couple of friends, having drinks and good conversation and laughter and pausing to reflect on how beautiful that is to be able to, to have people like that in your life, to be able to have times like that that are just rich and, and that, that are full. And if we're not careful, we forget how important they are and we, we forget to, to pause and reflect on it and appreciate it is, I guess, the, the way I put that. I, I, I think that's perfect, exactly. I wake up every morning and I look over at my wife now and I think, and I actually say out loud to her, we get another day. That's great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all we're promised. We're not even promised the end of this one, are we? That's right. That's exactly right. And we really do need to seize that. It's, it's carte diem, right? It, it really is seized. Well, I say it a different way. I don't know if you've got to bleep stuff out on your show, but I, no. <laughs> I've got a, a phrase that, that I've had on my pillow, a, a throw pillow. I've had it for a few years, way before this diagnosis. And it says carpe the fucking diem. Yes, that's and, right. And, and that's another motto. That's just a motto I've been living by for several years now. And even more so now, you know, that's, that's it. Seize the fucking day. Big time. How have you mentioned, okay, you have collections of friends, you have, you know, estranged and mildly various estranged family members. What, um, wh- how did that roll? How did that happen? What, what's, what's, who are your friends now? And, and how does, how does your life uh, organized? Well, when I, when I realized if, several years back that I no longer believed in, in God and, and let go of all of that. It was a rarely, it was a fairly um, quick uh, extraction. I didn't, I didn't step down as some people do. You know, I didn't try to hang on to some nicer God or some progressive God or some different idea of what God is. I just said, if the God of the Bible is not true and I now believe that's correct, then I'm, I don't need any God. What's the point of trying to find a better one? You know, it didn't make any sense to me. So I let go of all of that. And um, I did not know a single person on the planet that I could identify with. I was, I felt completely alone. Um, it, it wasn't someone's, it wasn't something that someone influenced me to do. 
I was completely alone in my search. And so I began to, to look around and say, where, where's my tribe now? I've got no tribe. I got no people. And, and so I, you know, the internet is now our friend. And so uh, I found through that, I found a thing called the clergy project. Which yes, is, I have heard of this. It's a, it's an online forum for clergy who no longer believe in a supernatural deity and they can be ex clergy like me. I was already out of clergyness when I quit believing, but there are clergy that I've known personally that I do know personally who were still in the pulpit, still actively on staff, still actively in ministry and they quit believing in God. And they're, they're trapped in this thing of what do I do now? How do I manage this? Do I just radically quit? and throw my future and my finances into turmoil. Um, so all of that to say, I found that community, started talking to a couple of people on there and then found communities they were a part of. Um, the family that I live with now, Cass Midsley, he's a, he has a podcast called Everyone's Agnostic. And um, uh, he, I, he, I met him through the clergy project. He's a former pastor as well. And um, we, we found out that we lived 30 minutes apart from each other. So we started hanging out and we started gathering people around us that, that had experienced similar things, people that would either find his podcast or that we would meet in other ways. And we formed this community there in Nashville. Uh, there's about 50 people in it that are all ex-Christian atheists. Um, some would identify more as an agnostic or humanist. Some people still don't like the word atheist, but I'm trying to I'm trying to do my part to clean it up. It's not a bad word. Um, no, it's not. And so we meet monthly. We have a meetup every month and we get together and we hang out. Sometimes we'll all hang out and do things. And they've become my best friends, the, the guys and the women in that group. Um, and then through the podcast, we've got an online community. You may have one through your podcast, a Facebook group that kind of coalesces around it. And they become a community that you can identify with and, receive support and encouragement from. So it was just a gradual process of building a new community. Most people that I realize when they come out of faith, the thing they miss the most about church is the community. They don't miss the dogma. They don't miss the rules and regulation. They don't miss the guilt and the shame. They miss the community. And so I think it's important for us in the secular community to do everything we can to try to build community and try to help people find it. I agree completely. In fact, uh, one of the first things I uh, hooked up with here in Denver was the Secular Hub, which yeah. is a community of secular people. So yeah, you guys have a meeting there and stuff. I just got back from Minneapolis. I met at a. I've spoke at a. Um, uh, it's it's a humanist uh, Unitarian church. They've got a huge, great facility right there in downtown Minneapolis, and they're just secular humanists who meet together and have a a church essentially, for lack of a better term. Yep. I, I was in Minnesota for a little while. I, I think I know the group you're talking about. Oh, okay. Great people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the very first thing I did when I came to Denver was go online, meet up. Okay. Secular. Let's go. You know, and there are community. There is community out there. Do you think that there is some irony in the, uh, or again, hypocrisy, perhaps, I don't know, uh, you know, in the idea of, of the evangelical, you know, religious believers who are supposed to be all about charity and love and compassion, you know, doing the shunning bit uh, with people like us? Well, they, they would couch it in different terms. They, they're, they're always careful to use 
phrases like tough love and boundaries, things like that. So they would tell you, well, this is me loving you. You know, this right. is like they would. Yeah, they <laughs> right. they would. But they, they would use it like, you know, if you had a drug addict son or a brother and he just kept <laughs> coming around borrowing money, couldn't get his life together, was strung out all the time on the streets. You would say, I can't keep donating to that destructive lifestyle. I've got to put him at arm's length. I've got to shine. I've got to cut off so that he will come to the end of himself. You ever heard that term? So that's how they you come to the end of yourself so that you find look for help. That, um, that's a new phrase for me, but I'm totally familiar with the concept. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the ideology behind the shunning that you're running from God. You're mad at God. You're in rebellion against God. You're like the prodigal son. And you're going to have to get out there and and be be rooting around with the hogs broke and and poor before you'll realize the error of your ways and come crawling back in repentance to the faithful fold. And so that's the idea, I think, behind shunning and disfellowshipping someone. So they would do it as love. It's like this really sincere, hard, tough love that we're doing the best for you. It may not feel like it right now, but trust me, in the end, you're going to see that this was the best way to handle you. Right. That's how I right. think they do it. That, it's the exact same thing with disconnection in Scientology. Ex it, it, word for word. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they would say uh, they're trying to get your ethics in. So That's it, the same it, thing, yeah. Yeah, same thing though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So now you're now looking into the future. It's an uncertain future. Yeah. But you, you know, it's not, you, you know, you're not going anywhere tomorrow. How are you keeping going? And, you know, are you working still? What's your life like? Well, I, I retired. What I did when I first got the diagnosis, I was, I'd been working in the insurance business for 10 years. And had a nice career and was making good money and living really my best life ever. Um, you know, on my own terms, I've been divorced a couple of years and chose that myself because I needed to reboot life and, and get things where I could live authentic and honestly. And so I was doing that. And then I got the diagnosis and I, um, based on the prognosis, you, you know, you have to make some decisions about prioritizing. And, and honestly, work, the work I did was becoming more difficult with the symptoms in my hands and arms, making little simple things hard to do now. Um, and, and theoretically, according to the statistics, that's going to get worse. Um, we don't know how, how fast it'll go or where it'll go next in my body. But I, I, I had to decide, do I want to spend the last two or three years until I can't do anything anymore just working? And uh, to make money for what, you know, why am I doing this? Um, so I, I retired. I just said, you know what, I'm going to shut this down and um, I'm going to use the money that I have coming in from residuals to live on. I moved out of my apartment in with friends. They asked me to, they wanted me to, because they wanted to be there to help me with things as needed as things progressed. And so I sold stuff. I gave stuff away. I just really trimmed the sales and lightened my load and simplified my life and began to say, okay, what do I want to spend my time and energy on uh, with the limited time I have left? So I want to travel. I want to see places I haven't been to as long as I can do that. Now, when it comes time, I can't do that. Then I got to scale that back. I want to spend time with friends and people I love and care for. 
and and make the most of every day and seize the day and not be caught up in just living life and in the treadmill and so uh, that's what I, that's what my focus has been and remains to this day. Um, I'm still fairly functional. I, I just have compromised use of my hands and arms and limited strength in those extremities. My legs are still good. My mouth is still good. Um, those are the other areas it goes to. And then it, it affects your diaphragm and you can't breathe and that's how you die. Um, so I'm just focused on living the best moments, the most moments I can, as long as I can. And then I'm uh, trying to balance between uh, the focus being living or staying alive. And that's a big difference because there are efforts that I know some people make toward looking for treatments, traveling here, going there, doing this, doing that, to try to extend some things, to try to make some things better. And there's different ideas out there on what's working and what's not and what's available and what's not and, and the links you can go to. I know people personally who've spent thousands of dollars going to different countries and getting treatments. Some are effective uh, and some aren't. And so I have to decide how much time and energy do I want to spend on that effort as opposed to the time and energy I spend on simply living, you know, spending time with friends, traveling to a place, doing some things that I can do now while I can do them because there's going to come a time when I can't do them. And then the other side of that, the other part of all of that is that as things progress and when it gets to a place, you know, how long do I let it go? You know, before it gets to a place where I'm looking in the mirror saying, wait a minute, there's not enough good in these days that I'm living to justify me staying alive. And so I need to then, take steps to end things on my own terms rather than letting it get to the bitter end where you're just a, a shell of a person laying in a bed waiting to die, which is a horrible way. And again, that speaks to all kinds of issues we have in this country with uh, death with dignity and where it's illegal. And even the States where it's legal in is such a restrictive thing that they do that it's almost useless in many cases. So there's a lot of that that I'm looking into, but that's down the road. Uh, I'm not in a hurry to dig too deep into that because I still, I think it's not, it's not progressing fast and that's good in my case. Um, and so I do have, I do have good functionality and good quality of life uh, for the foreseeable year or two. I think I'm just guessing, I don't know. Um, so I really just want to, want to seize the moments that I can seize while I can. I, I think that's wonderful. I, there are so many obvious uh, moral lessons and life lessons here for people. And, and we need to be reminded of them. Uh, you know, I don't want to beat people over the head with all of this. I mean, it's pretty obvious that, you know, life is important and it is a limited thing in a way we are all dying. Yeah. Really. I mean, you could walk out tomorrow and get hit by a car. Mm -hmm. That could happen to any of us anytime. So you really have to take stock from time to time and look at what you're doing. Are you doing it right? You know, is the rat race really the thing you should be putting your attention on? Yeah. I, for one, now that I have had this, you know, came out of the whole situation I did and now I work for myself, I, I will never go back. There's nothing that could drive me back to a nine to five job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's, and we've all known people who've, you know, quit the rat race and gone off to be an artist or, you know, gone to a Caribbean island to be a bartender or whatever, you know, just to soak up a different life. Cause you know, life can beat you up pretty bad and you, you have to decide, you know, coming out of Christianity, 
in that in that cult in that evangelical system it was all about deferring to a higher power you weren't your own you didn't get to really make your own decisions you just followed jesus and did what he told you and essentially that meant whatever the church leadership you were in told you but um you, you weren't your own person you didn't have autonomy you didn't have you didn't get to wake up and say what do i want my god what do i want my life to look like it was always everyone else first and me last and that can be at its core pretty unhealthy and so what we've learned as we come out of that as a humanist um is that no i i do get to do what i want as long as i'm i'm not selfish and being an asshole as long as i'm being kind to other people and considerate of their of their needs and and but but what do i want it's my life and i i you know several years ago when i rebooted i said i'm tired of letting other people write my story and i'm going to take the pen back and write it myself thank you very much and I, i can write my own story and and i think we all deserve to do that i could not have put it better the only thing i could add to that is uh or the only the only thought that occurs to me here is wouldn't that be what god wants you would think if he was any kind of a nice guy at all <laughs> right i mean <laughs> If he's gonna give us free will, you know, why well, is that's why a whole other punished? subject? We could, we could talk five hours on that one. I tell you, man. But I but really, I mean, why would anybody think that you should be punished or have to exert tough love over you because you are exerting literally the one freedom that God gave you, which is freedom of will, freedom of you know. To, mm-hmm. to choose how you want to live your life, you know? I can't imagine wanting anything less for my kids. Right? Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, any advice? <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've talked about a few things uh, here that definitely fit that bill. But in the experiences you've had since February, in your, in your life since leaving faith, and in your whole life as a, as a pastor even, uh, what, what are your, you know, what are the things you want people to, to kind of get from you? Well, two of my favorite words are kindness and curiosity. Um, I heard it said whenever possible, be kind and it's always possible. Yes. And then the other thing is to stay curious and never stop learning, never stop growing. But as, and in terms of living our best life, it's really as simple as what I've already said. Carpe the fucking diem, grab the moments, look for them, uh, make note of them, do it the way you want to do it. You know, regret is a very um, costly emotion to to live with regret or, you know, and it'd be easy for someone like us to look at the wasted years or the years that we kind of felt duped and, and, and tricked and to look at those with a, a basket load of regret, you know, um, the best years of my life given to that. But I don't really dwell there, and I think it's it's important to to say, okay, I, I did what I thought was best, and then I, in a sense, woke up, and now I'm doing the best I can now, and and I and I feel like I am, um, and so I think that's just, you know, be honest with yourself and let yourself be who you are. Um, to me, it's it's so very important, and I have a lot of friends who are ex-Christians who kind of have to live in the closet, like some of their family doesn't know, and they have to be careful about you know how they live and and I understand all of that because it cost me a great deal to come out as it were <laughs> and um, so I know the costs involved 
But on the other hand, there's great freedom in, in everyday living when you're able to be your authentic self, to be honest with yourself and with others, and then just to live your best day every day and put your head down at night knowing that you did that the best you could. Um, and, and, and I think that's a good, that's a life well lived. I, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, I, I am really glad our, our paths crossed. Me too. I've enjoyed this. You're a good guy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I had tattooed on my arm here. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's yeah. chaos. Be kind. That's yeah. brilliant. That's exactly it. So you know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, good for you, man. I, yeah, I always, I, I do have regrets, of course. I have done everything I can in my life to try to make up for some of those regrets. And, and, uh, uh, and, and I always uh, come back to that. It mm -hmm. always comes back to this. You know, my, in my lucid, good, best moments of my life, it is recognition that the world is a crazy place and it always will be. Mm -hmm. The randomities of life are uncontrollable and always will be for us. Mm -hmm. So the best we can do is recognize that and be as tolerant and kind and compassionate to each other you as bet. we possibly can. That's great. Well, that's a good, that's a good, it's, it's chaos. Be kind. I like that. Yeah. yeah I, I, I wish any... I could claim, I wish I could claim ownership for it. It comes from Patton Oswalt. Oh, I, love, I, love, I follow him on Twitter. Um, yes. I don't have any tats. People are asking me, you're going to get any tattoos? And I'm thinking, what would I absolutely, what would I do? I have no idea. I probably won't because I don't, I don't like pain. <laughs> <laughs> I love yes. hearing from people. Any of your listeners that want to reach out, the uh, Facebook page is Dave Warnock, Dang Out Loud. You can, you can find my stuff on there. Uh, uh, I'm, this podcast will be posted on there when it's ready. Um, the email is daveoutloud at gmail.com. Um, if I'm ever in an area where some of your people are, um, I, I love meeting people in person who we've connected online. Um, I did that in Minneapolis last week, and that's always fun. I'll be down in Austin in a few weeks doing some, uh, some meetings down there. So, yeah, I just love meeting people and connecting. And uh, yeah, Excellent, man. Life, life together. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you're in Denver, if you come by Colorado at all, please Ooh. reach out. We definitely will, man. Absolutely. It'd be great to get a drink together. Exactly. All right, man. Thank you very much again for taking the time and for doing what you're doing right now. I cannot think of a better way to, to spend your time. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, man. Nice. Folks, any questions, comments, feedback, I will be putting links to uh, those resources Dave just mentioned in the comment section or in the show description section here and at sensiblyspeaking.com. You can check that out. I am very interested in any and all of your feedback and do uh, take a moment to check out uh, some of those links. Uh, all right. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.